Our text for today comes from the sixth chapter of Galatians, verses 1 through 16. You can follow along on page 7 in your bulletin. Brothers and sisters, if a person is caught doing something wrong, you who are spiritual should restore someone like this with a spirit of gentleness. Watch out for yourselves so you won't be tempted to. Carry each other's burdens, and so you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks that they are important when they aren't, they're fooling themselves. Each person should test their own work and be happy with, with doing a good job and not compare themselves with others. Each person will have to carry their own load. Those who are taught the word should share all good things with their teacher. Make no mistake, God is not mocked. A person will harvest what they plant. Those who plant only for their own benefit will harvest devastation from their selfishness. But those who plant for the benefit of the Spirit will harvest eternal life from the Spirit. Let's not get tired of doing good, because in time we'll have a harvest if we don't give up. So then let us work for the good of all, whenever we have an opportunity, and especially for those in the household of faith. Look at the large letters I am making with my own handwriting. Whoever wants to look for look good by human standards will try to get you circumcised, but only so that they won't be harassed for the cross of Christ. Those who are circumcised don't observe the law themselves, but they want you to be circumcised so they can boast about your physical body. But as for me, God forbid that I should boast about anything except for the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The world has been crucified to me through him, and I have been crucified to the world. Being circumcised or not being circumcised doesn't mean anything. What matters is a new creation. May peace and mercy be on whoever follows this rule and on God's Israel. This is the word of God for all the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. I can remember rather clearly, or at least as clear as you can when you're three or four years old, going to see my relatives on my dad's side in his native Louisiana. And as I've shared before many times, we would um, drive down there from Michigan. We would fill the car with luggage and food and food and food, and then drive on down to Michigan. Now, when I was that age, all that really mattered to me was to sit in the back seat of our Buick, singing songs from Sesame Street. That must have drove, driven my parents crazy for several hours to have to hear songs from Sesame Street over and over again. Because I was that age, and because the world to me was about Sesame Street and probably my favorite stuffed animal, I was not aware of the context. And in fact, I didn't find out about and know about some aspects of this context until I was actually an adult. Traveling 
as we did in the American South in the early 1970s wasn't a big deal for me. As I said, I was three or four. I was more into Sesame Street than what was happening in the news of the world. But for my father, for my dad, it was a big thing. You have to think about it because we were only at the very least a decade or so since the passage of civil rights laws that did away with segregationist barriers. And that had an effect on my dad. He might have known and heard that the laws had changed, that accommodations, especially in hotels and restaurants, were now open to him. But they hadn't left his mind yet. And mom has told this story that I didn't know the full story until, again, I was older. And this was either on our first trip or our second trip. And we had stopped in Vicksburg, Mississippi. It was morning, and there was a Holiday Inn there. Um, For those of you who don't know, Vicksburg is basically, it's right on the Mississippi, and probably where it's it's widest. Um, It's about a mile across, so you're just getting ready to head into Louisiana once you're, when you're in Vicksburg. We had stopped here, we were getting, we wanted to have breakfast, we had been driving probably through the night, and mom wanted to go in. Dad didn't. Mom kept trying to tell him, you know, this is different. You don't have to worry about being kicked out. But he still didn't want to go in. So mom decided that she and I would go in. And we did. And we had breakfast. For some reason, I can remember those were some of the best pancakes I ever had. She got some breakfast to go for dad. Now, mom knew that the laws had changed and that the laws were on her side if she was refused service. And she can tell you another story about that. But for my dad, who had grown up in the 30s and in the 40s and in the 50s, Louisiana of that time, Jim Crow was dominant. So, and he tells the story, he told me that story, that when he was a single man, and when he had moved here, moved to Michigan in the 50s, he wasn't able to stop at a restaurant or to sleep in a hotel. So the only thing that he could do is he had to eat food that had been prepared by his mother or by his sister. And when he got tired, he had to pull over until a cop told him to move on. Now, the civil rights movement had changed the laws and had brought down divisions in our society. Places that were in the South that would not have welcomed him were now open to him. But sometimes even just because something changes doesn't always mean that your brain totally understands that. And that's why he didn't want to go into that restaurant, a Holiday Inn restaurant in 1973. He was worried that he would not be able to eat there. One of the things I've learned from that experience and from that tale is how powerful the past can weigh on us. 
especially when it comes to race. Also, how so it is the human tendency in our world, and as people who are in the grips of sin, how often we want to divide people, and how that message of division can stay in your brain. The laws can change, but the psychological effects are still there, and they can have an impact long after the ugliness has happened. Now the first 10 verses of chapter 6 in Galatians, Paul is making some final comments. He talks to the church on how they should act in the world. And throughout this entire letter, Paul is in some ways in, a, in an argument. He is in an argument with people in the church in Galatia that are saying basically to the extent that if you really want to be a real Christian, if you really want to be one of the chosen, you have to be circumcised. And Paul is saying, no. It is only through the grace of Jesus Christ that we are saved, not by any actions of our own. His opponents were in some ways creating and wanting to create a segregated kind of church where there were those that were the circumcised ones who were the better followers of Jesus than those who were not. It's kind of like that phrase that I remember from um, George Orwell's um, book, Animal Farm, that all animals are equal, but some are more equal than others. Paul would have none of this he despised these opponents that wanted to segregate the church. He responds by telling this church in Galatia that he can only boast of Christ. It didn't matter because Paul, of course, came from an upper strata of society. He had all of these things that could have said how special he was. And he is saying it doesn't mean anything. What he boasts in is in the cross of Christ. Paul understood that it was at the cross that it was the great equalizer. It leveled all the distinctions, the things that could divide society. As he says back in the third chapter, that in Christ there is no Gentile or Jew or men or women or slave or free because all are one in Christ Jesus. Paul in, it stresses again in this chapter that same thing by saying that circumcised and uncircumcised doesn't mean anything. What matters is that we are a new creation in Jesus Christ. The cross has implications for us today, or it should. Paul tells the Galatians they are to live a life where there are no barriers to salvation. Because we are saved through grace, we are to live a life that shows that. We are to live a graceful life. We are there to carry each other's burdens, to restore those who do wrong. We are to live for the other. We are called to be a community that witnesses to the wider world 
and shows what it means to live a cross-shaped life. As I said before, and I probably said to people's getting tired of me saying it, um, this is the day, final day that we are receiving pledges. And I know that in the time I've been here and kind of in the, at least the brief history of the congregation, most, most recent, is pledging hasn't been something that we have done. So the basic question is why are we doing it? Now there is a practical reason. It's a good way to know what we're dealing with budget-wise. But that's only the practical. There is actually a far deeper meaning. The spiritual reason that we do this, why we pledge and why we give, is simply because God has expressed God's love for us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And because Christ loved us so much, he was willing to die for us. And because grace has been shown to us, we are to live a life of gratitude. Our gratitude is shown in ways and in many ways. And of course, one of those ways is how we manage finances. But we also do this because we want to live and show that and create the world that God is creating to show that world to others. We want to be accountable to God and to others to help support the ministry of this congregation, but in turn to support God's mission in the wider world. Giving is not simply about making a budget. It's about saying that no matter who we are in the church, we are to live a life that gives. Not to make sure that we get new windows or whatever things that physically happen in the church, though those are important, but it is to model a Christ-like life. Our Lutheran brothers and sisters have a saying that I've noticed more than once, and when you have gone to a Lutheran seminary and are married to a Lutheran preacher's kid, you can't not hear that phrase. The phrase is simply this, for the sake of the world. I've seen this phrase over and over in different sentences. Um, the current presiding bishop of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, Elizabeth Eaton, says that we are church for the sake of the world. That is what this church, and indeed the, the church, should be all about. We're not simply here to meet friends. We are not here to come and worship until the money runs out. What we as First Christian Church of St. Paul are to do is to know that we are loved by God and that God loves all without distinction and that we are here to preach that message and to model that message as church for the sake of the world. If we are here to be church for the sake of the world, it means being a church that knows how to be church together and then to go out and be church 
the rest of the world. And in a world that today is so riven with division, we have to show that there are no divisions in Jesus Christ. In a time when political leaders seek to divide us, to tell who is the people that belong and who are those on the outside, we must witness to the one that breaks down all barriers and divisions. It took time for my dad to see that there were no barriers anymore that blocked him from eating in a restaurant in Vicksburg, Mississippi. But once he was able to realize that he could eat food and have a bed to rest in, he was able to relax. He was able to stop at restaurants and stay at hotels. Thankfully, the world that we live in is not as divided on race as it once was. There are still problems, but they are not compared to what my dad lived through. But there are other barriers out there, ones that keep people away from each other and ones that keep people away from God. Knowing that we are freed by Christ, knowing that we live through God's grace and we go we go out to do God's work for the sake of the world. Thanks be to God. Amen.